Welcome back to The Shed. It's episode 123 of the endless, endless series. Endless. Stuff. It's a beautiful fall day almost. It's actually only Labor Day, but it's feeling and looking pretty fallish out there. It's beautiful out there. It is. It's... (laughs) You know, that, I can't interrupt myself. That call and answer thing just slays me every time. Um, it's Paul uh, Schaefer does that with Letterman is, all is the that time. What it is? It's just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful out there. <laughs> First time you were doing that a couple episodes ago. Might be COVID. He got tested. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I got some uh, got some follow up on uh, Mercury. Lay it on us, RJ. Many episodes back, Captain Bob of Saskatoon wrote us a note about uh, Mercury. He kind of kiddingly said, back in my day, Mercury was a lot safer than it is now. That's right. It could be handled and eaten and it didn't have any bad effects. That's That's right. correct. So uh, we talked about playing with Mercury. We, all three of us, had some experience with that, I believe. Uh, My memory is pushing it up and down the pencil slot in the desk, on top of the desk. Yep. So this is what happens now if people play with Mercury in school. And uh, this is a little bit over the top, but it's kind of funny. So this is from uh, Wikipedia's article on Mercury, I believe. On October 2nd, 2003, the Washington, D.C.'s Fire Department Hazmat Unit responded to an emergency call unlike any call Balu High School had ever had to make. What the D.C.'s hazmat unit found that afternoon proved to be the beginning of a long, exhausting search for and cleanup of an elemental mercury spill. A student had obtained 250 milliliters of liquid elemental mercury. So, 250 mils, one cup, right? That's a lot of mercury. That is a lot. So, I, what I played with was probably two cubic centimeters, I'm guessing. Max. Yeah. A cup. So he got it from a science lab. Now, it says a science lab. I, I assumed it was the school science lab, but maybe he got it from a science science lab, like some commercial lab. And then he sold some of it to other students. Now, guys, would you buy mercury? Mm. Like, would you would you buy it? I don't know. If it was, you know, 10 bucks for a little baggie, yeah, who knows? <laughs> could be fun well if i had a if i had a mercury switch thermostat right so thermostats in older houses had mercury in them and that's you know and a, and a steel thing when the steel thing expanded or contracted a certain amount the mercury rolled to the other end of its tube and completed a circuit that started your furnace so if i had one of those maybe but other than something like that i just can't imagine what the hell i'd ever use it for Skinny, you couldn't swap out the mercury in one of those thermometers, the thermostat. You'd have to have some glass blowing skills, <laughs> KJ. <laughs> so it's doable then, is what you're saying. Uh, students had to be dismissed from the high school once they found out, okay, everybody go home. I think that's the idea. By the time the D.C. hazmat team and the D.C. public health officials arrived, it was too late to contain all the spills. Varying amounts of mercury were found in the classrooms, gymnasium, and cafeteria. The EPA responded by establishing a mobile command post, measuring mercury air concentrations, and noting visual contamination of the science lab, the cafeteria, the gym, and the administration areas. 
Contamination did not stop at the school. Students unknowingly carried mercury on contaminated shoes and clothing through the streets, onto city and school buses, and into their homes. Eleven homes and one common area were found to be contaminated, and about 16 families were displaced for one month. Jesus, Murphy. <laughs> As a result of the spill, Balu High School was closed for 35 days, and over 200 <laughs> homes were tested. Total cleanup costs? About $1.5 million. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. So, I first thing I wonder is, like, they said visual. I don't know about you guys, but I do remember dropping a drop of it on the, I think, the lead-covered desktop in the science lab in high school. And it just immediately scattered into tiny pinhead-sized droplets all over the place. And you sort of think, those are pretty hard to see. And if it fell from the height of the desk to the floor, you're into Avogadro's number territory. You know, like it's just billions of these. How do they spot it? Is there something where they can just shine a fluorescent light and traces of mercury show up? Like how do they, how Maybe do, they so, do that? Maybe yeah. so, yeah. Just can't imagine. Yeah. And then the other thing that makes me giggle a bit is just think about... So the second of my many ex-wives is currently a dangerous goods inspector. And uh, therefore, I've had some conversations about all the crap that goes around shipping dangerous goods, storing, transporting, labeling, handling, all of those kinds of things. And you sort of think <laughs> a cup of mercury probably just came through like the mail with FedEx or something and got left outside his door and he just took, oh, I got my mercury, you know, like. What happens if the handler guy drops that in the FedEx sorting house and doesn't realize that it's leaking or something? Like, are they handling that stuff in a manner that's consistent with one and a half million dollars worth of damage when somebody got a hold of a cup of it? I wonder. I just, wow. I got to think a, that the kid got lot. the cup from the school science lab. It could be. Yeah, because, which is yeah. In a, a sort of a huge amount to have. But if you're doing sort of, well, I, I don't know. Because how did we all get those little amounts to play with unless they had whole cups or liters of it or quarts? Yeah. So you're right. It must have been from the school lab. Well, and that's where the, the prime site was of the contamination. Yeah, the distribution. <laughs> so that, that covers that. To, okay. can go over the Prius Prime range test. Give it to us, RJ. All right. In the previous episode, we I believe we talked about... Uh, us looking for a new car and thinking we liked the Mini. You liked the Mini. Mini Cooper EV, which I still love. I think it's just the most coolest possible car. But what happened was we did a test drive. Sue did her test drive. I'd already done one. And she just found that the the, the car is meant to be sporty and to make it feel sporty, the seats are racing car seats. And they have massive bolsters, yeah, comedy size bolsters, great big, huge fins that come out of the side that are only of use if you're like 300 pounds, right? Like they, it's just unnecessary. And what she found was getting in and out was that the steering wheel and the bolster kind of prevented her from getting in and out easily. Um, so it just wasn't, it was a, it was a no-go. I mean, no car is perfect, but there are certain things that are Okay, well, this is this is definitely a no go, and that was that was one. 
So we did a test drive in a brand new Prius Prime. So the Prius Prime is the version of the Prius that's a plug-in hybrid. So that one worked. That turned out to be actually more fun to drive than we thought. We thought it would kind of be, oh, uh, kind of a sluggish. Kind of stodgy. <laughs> yeah. And so are you rodding around? Have you found that you can lay rubber if you just mash the pedal to the floor and stuff? No, it's not super powerful, it turns out. But it's actually really cool. I mean, you plug it into the wall in the garage. I'm supposed to get 40 kilometers out of it. On pure electric, right? Before the gas engine even kicks in. Hmm. So perfect for Sue because she doesn't drive more than 40 or 50 kilometers in a day. So I need now, RJ, to ask you, did you consider as you were shopping uh -huh, yeah. the hottest electric car in China right now? Uh, the Neo? No, the Hongguang Mini EV. Uh, joint venture with GM. Probably going to save GM's butt by the look of it. That thing sells for, drum roll, fully loaded, including air condition, 5500 bucks. I think that's US. They're outselling Tesla in China right now because they're so cheap. They're about the size of a smart car. They got a 170-kilometer range, and they are just stone cheap. They're trying to sell them there. They're trying to get underway selling them in North America just online. Yeah. Which, of course, raises a billion questions about shipping and everything, but still. You'd think that shipping one of those things couldn't be more than a few thousand dollars. Yeah, and you just kind of think you could get a number, you could get a little fleet of those things for the cost of one Tesla, right? Yeah. It's nutty, and they really are just selling like hotcakes. I think EVs are going to explode pretty soon. They're, they're definitely taking off in an exponential fashion, and so... yeah. It's it's coming quickly. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different makes uh, popping up in China right now. Like a lot of different manufacturers of electric cars are coming up. So, see, buy that for five thousand bucks. Maybe add three thousand for your shipping, and then subtract eight thousand for the federal and provincial <laughs> rebates. Yeah. So you're basically getting a free car. Now that's starting to sound pretty darn good. How it all works, you just wonder. I mean, it's just so cheap. It's like a disposable car. It's like a battery on wheels. You know, you just, yeah. I don't know what happens. I don't know how, if something does go wrong with it, how the hell would you ever, ever, ever get it fixed? Yeah. So we got this car and one of the first things we learned was, you know, there's certain requirements for plugging it into the wall. Now, the truth is most people don't read the manual and the salespeople don't really point anything out to you in that regard. So what you're going to do is you're going to go home, you're going to plug it into your garage, and it's going to work just fine. But I read the manual, so it says you definitely have to use a GFI circuit or a GFCI circuit. Um, that's one of those ones where if there's a short, it instantly cuts off. Just like in your bathroom, you'll see that little test button, one of those kind. So... Uh, had PJ come over to the house and we put a GFI circuit in there. Went pretty smoothly, would you not say? Uh, absolutely. It was a dream because we didn't have to figure anything out with wiring, really. While PJ was at the house, we also did my outdoor outlet, which is GFI. They're supposed to be those outdoor ones. So uh, we replaced that one as well. And then the other worry was that, well, wait a minute, this thing draws 12 amps, this car, when it's charging. And uh, those of you who play around with housing electricity know that a standard circuit is 15 amp. 
So my fridge was plugged into that. And I did some Googling and a fridge, when it kicks in, it draws maybe six or eight amps. Does it? Yeah. So you got 12 plus six or eight. You're, you're, now you're talking 20. But anyway, uh, we needed to switch the fridge to another outlet. Well, I plugged my little tester thing in there and that outlet didn't test properly. It says open ground. PJ and I looked at that for a bit. We replaced the circuit and tested it again and it still was open ground. So we just shrugged and plugged the fridge into it. Never thought of another thing about it. <laughs> and uh, Mike, who's an electrical instrumentation person by trade and so knows quite a bit of electricity, says where you run into problems is when the actual refrigerator has an issue. Mm. Then it becomes one of those ones that you reach around behind the back and go, oh, I got shocked. That's what happens when oh, you, yeah, okay. you know, because if you have a closed ground, that's going to take care of that problem. Some, at least some of the time. But so uh, that's interesting. You know, Sue and I both uh, are going to be careful around the fridge. Not really. But anyway, <laughs> so then I talked to the neighbor and he said, oh, yeah, forget all that. They have a Kia Nero and they, so that's a full EV. They plug it into their 110. And the fridge is plugged into the other jack right in the same AC outlet. <laughs> and they run their garage door opener off the same circuit. And they have their 150-watt bulbs running in the ceiling. You know, and at some point, you're going to have the fridges running and um, maybe even kicks on while you're running the garage door opener. Yeah. They've never had it kick off, and it's a 15-amp circuit. So Yeah. It's sort of a perfect storm requirement. Yeah, yeah. And the worst that's going to happen there is that your circuit breaker is going to blow. It just pops a breaker. Just turn the breaker back on. And and then you can set the Prius Prime to take a lower amperage. Just take longer to charge. So anyway, it's all good. So uh, we were thinking 40 kilometers, but it kept telling Sue, hey, you only got 32 kilometers left at 100%. So we're going, oh, man. Because we bought, we did that one of those things where you get some thousands of dollars off because you get last year's model mm. even though it's brand new it's their last it was the last one in their inventory and it turns out the 2021 and 2022 are identical in every way so we bought last year's model that's kind of cool yeah it's actually really cool on you for you that's really good it is they they pulled it around before they'd washed it so i could have a look over it before signing the papers and it had like a year's worth of dust on it because, you know, the, the, the dealerships can't afford to store all these cars indoors, right? Their whole inventory. They're off in some other lot even that you're not even at the dealership. And so they just sit there in the outdoors getting rained yeah. on, getting whatever. Getting rats going up in them, chewing insulation, all kinds of probably, stuff can happen probably, out there. Probably, yeah. So we thought, okay, well, what if just sitting there, if they don't manage the battery charge... What if they charge it right up to 100% and don't let it down? Because that will that will really kill one of those batteries if they're sitting at 100% for months. So I was worried about that. So we did a range test. Oh, see, I thought this was just a fun little fun fact thing here. But no, this is with a purpose. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did the, uh, I did the driving. We set everything to the minimum. So eco mode. High myelin pure EV mode, <laughs> driving conservatively, but not driving like a total jerk, you know, where you just crawl out of the lights. <laughs> There's right, like 800 come. cars behind you, you just crawl out. <laughs> 
you come coasting slowly up to the red light <laughs> even before it's red you know and, and thinking it might yeah. go red no so i didn't drive like that but other than that fairly conservatively you know excel uh, one of the things they teach you is to start your slowdown way in advance like if you know you're gonna have to stop why just keep driving at speed limit? Like, so you see so many drivers do this. You especially see that on snowy days. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> As they go sliding through the intersection. It, there's no, it makes no sense whatsoever. Even if there's one of those people that's so competitive that they just can't bear to have someone change lanes in, in front of them. Mm. It, it just almost never happens anyway. So they're just not getting any benefit. So anyway, you, you slow down way, way in advance. And um, and if there's nobody behind you, don't, yeah. you know, yeah. accelerate fa- fairly slow. Also avoid freeways. So take take the route that's just the, the city roads. And so we even didn't go on Marine Way, which is our normal way. It's an 80-kilometer route. For this route, we went down into uh, New Westminster uh, and over the Queensboro and down through Richmond to see if we could buy some duck eggs at the River Rabbit Farms. And then continued to the Knight Street Bridge and a little bit more. And the next thing you know, we were home. And so we we came to understand that, no, that battery's in really good condition. That We didn't consume the full battery, but we calculated that if we had, we would have gotten a good 50 kilometers out of it. So it was good news. Good. I'm ruminating over, you know how when they build a bridge, they say it's rated for five tons, but really you can drive an eight-ton vehicle across there and it won't collapse. Yeah. So when they rate those batteries for 40 kilometers, when they are on their freshest day ever, yeah. I wonder what they would do. You know, like I wonder, like maybe when it came out of the factory, it would do 70 kilometers like fuel consumption tests have to be done to a certain standard for governmental standard. And I'm sure the manufacturers do the best that they can to, you know, stay within the standard yet still overstate how good their fuel consumption is. So you don't, you don't think that they would, if it got 70 kilometers fresh out the door, they would never say that. Or you think they would immediately never pass up the opportunity to say that. I think it depends on the manufacturer. Right. Like mm. Volkswagen was clearly quite happy to understate their fuel consumption hmm. when they got caught for that. I think yeah. Toyota might have a reputational thing where they want to be fairly conservative. I know Apple's pretty conservative on its battery consumption, for example. And uh, that's just a reputational think, thing. They just don't want That's what to. I was thinking. I was thinking they, they publish it as 40. They know out the door it gets 70. So it's going to be a couple of years before it starts to drop below 40. And for those couple of years under warranty, everybody's super happy. The car, it's just like brand new, still gets 40 kilometers. You know what I mean? Like, And you learn so much about stuff. Like it's surprising how much the uh, air conditioner takes. Hmm. And so it actually, if you turn off your air conditioner, the number of kilometers remaining changes. So it's based on, you get a good 15% better. Yeah number of kilometers out of there if you just turn off your air conditioner hmm. that's good to know i and i had no idea about that lot like a course at volkswagen when i was a professional driver there they had evs the golf electrics but i had no idea what they were doing with them and they kept those babies right near the front door because they were the sort of star attraction vehicles yeah yeah the, the people i had in the car that had them just loved them but of course you know is in the first year of ownership, so of course they loved them. I wonder what they think about now. I don't know. Hey, uh, listeners, we've 
purposely left this segment until the end of the episode. We're going to have a good talk about the White Lotus. And uh, we're not going to avoid spoilers. That's why it's here at the end of the episode. So starting in a moment, you're going to hear a whole bunch of stuff about it. You might want to just watch it first, unless you're the kind of person that really doesn't care one way or the other about spoilers. In which case, listen on. Yeah, so... I've watched the entire series. KJ, I think you had uh, mentioned that it was something worth watching. So uh, I had a look and uh, which, oh, it's on Crave. So that for some of our listeners, that's going to be a showstopper right there. Unless you have your methods of watching shows legal, I'm sure. But uh, everybody can do the 30 day free trial. That's right. That's a great thing to do. I, I had to do that actually for uh, the Big Lebowski. <laughs> oh, was the Big Lebowski on Crave as well? Well, it's on Stars, S T A R Z. That's an offshoot of uh, Amazon Prime, I think. Oh, okay, okay. But uh, I'll have to cancel that after thirty days, unless I find something else. Uh, anyway, carry on. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and KJ, have you watched it right through to the end, or just part way? Have I ever? Oh, excellent. And skin. We're not going to count on you to watch it at all. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I led off someplace earlier in this session by <clears throat> mentioning that I have that full-time job and it's prevented me from doing everything. So White Lotus is a one-hour drama, although I think they call it a comedy drama. The Wikipedia article calls it a satire. Now, in my mind, you call something a satire if it's poking fun at a genre. So what genre would this be poking fun at, KJ? Is it The Love Boat or those kind of shows? I can't give you an answer on that. I I never watched The Love Boat, but I would say that... Uh, and uh, oh, what's the one? Uh, Deplane, Deplane. Fantasy, Fantasy Island. Island. Fantasy Island. Those kind of shows, I think, are they're set in an exotic locale. And then there are a number of people that you learn their personalities, their relationships. There's some drama that goes on and some lighthearted comedy, perhaps. So I suppose that could be a called a satire then. So the White Lotus is set in a resort. Uh, it's part of the White Lotus chain, which is a fictional chain. And it's on a beautiful, unnamed Hawaiian island. It kind of starts at the airport on this island, which is going to fly back to Honolulu so that people can catch their flights back to the mainland or wherever it is they came from. And the very first five minutes are set in the current time and then the entire series is set leading up to the current time that's not an uncommon kind of shtick right yeah it allows you to have a grabber in the first five minutes right yes and a bit of a mystery as well yeah that's the grabber it's something something's going on here let's watch on exactly because we've got kind of a jerk bro type guy wearing sunglasses sitting in the airport uh, boarding area and across from him is an overly inquisitive couple, you know, clearly asking personal questions to someone who clearly does not want to be talked to, but they're just not paying attention. So, oh, did you have a good stay? And it's you could just tell in the guy's face that he did not have a good stay, right? Oh, did something? Oh, we heard that somebody died. <laughs> and at that point, he just stops talking to them and walks away and he goes and walks and looks at the airplane getting boarded with the, getting the luggage put on. And there's one of those great big body boxes getting <laughs> loaded onto the airplane. So that establishes for us 
that somebody died. They're not going to tell us who. And so that's just fantastic. It's really nicely done. We learned pretty quickly that dude was on his honeymoon and his wife is nowhere to be seen in that opening moment. So, you know, you're, you're going to jump to a conclusion that it's his wife who died and perhaps it was, but there's no guarantee of that, right? Could be the big twist. So I think it's a great opening. And then from there, it's just like, okay, let's start. Okay, everybody arrives on the plane and it's the vacation. So it's going to be, you know, now we're back in time. And uh, so, KJ, what did you think? Uh, what are some of your highlights of this series? Well, uh, I could probably talk about every scene is a highlight in this. I watched the first four episodes twice. I think I watched the first two episodes three times. The second episode is actually incredible for how much information you get thinking that you're on a ride after the end of the first episode and all of a sudden the second episode comes along and it's like mother of pearl. <laughs> so in the first episode, the we get Armand, who's the manager of the hotel. He's an Australian guy. And I don't know if you want to say caricature, cliche characters, but they're... They're all just kind of so over the top. I've got a list of things that could be discussed. So I got story, symbolism, use of music, use of water shots, like just the shots between scenes yep. is incredible. Yep. The cinematography is incredible. Their direction, which is also the writer also directed it, is incredible. The way he uses suspense is incredible. And the acting is unbelievable and what he does is he sets up every character he every character has something that's going on for instance the 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 youngest kid in this family of um four with a uh, a girlfriend along of the young daughter this kid who's 16 is on devices all the time and in this show, through a series of events, he ends up sleeping on the beach. And it's the morning, and he's on a, a chaise lounge with his big duvet over him. And his devices, which are on the beach, are getting run over by the high tide. And you think, what's a better conflict in this kid's life? Because he's not engaging with anybody anywhere. He doesn't, his sister hates him. The parents don't listen to him. So what could be a, like at every character, this guy, whatever he sets up, he exposes like somehow he just white, just here comes the conflict full steam ahead. And often it's personal, like just within themselves, but often it's with whoever they've created the conflict and it. Oh man, oh man, it just goes, it just goes. Every character is great like that. He's got his uh, devices, which you think is the cause of him keeping to himself all the time. But in, in reality, if you get to know his family, which you do, he's got good reason to kind of stay away from them. They're all pretty toxic in many different ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, but boy, is that fun. Armand, though, I gotta say, my favorite character by far, because he's for, he's the guy that greets the people. He's the manager of the resort. There's six of them standing there waving at the boat as it comes in. And uh, 
He's got that great smile plastered on his face that you know is fake. <laughs> and and very soon Ian says, just as long as you keep them happy, as long as you say that everything's going to be fine, they'll be happy. They, he, he goes on to say that they're oblivious. They don't know what's going on here. They don't know what time of day it is. They don't even know where they are. They don't care about that stuff. So just as long as they're happy, everybody will be happy. So, you know, and he's telling this to his new staff and... Jesus. Isn't he great? And then you mentioned the uh, the music, the series. There's a lot of anxiousness as you watch the show. Oh, my God, what's going to happen now? Or something bad's happening. And it's set in Hawaii. So they got those damn Hawaiian drums going constantly. <laughs> going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And it just builds up the anxiety. I read an article on the music guy and he used no um, synthesized sounds. There is, I don't know if you can remember, it goes... I think it might actually be monkey noises. Oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. He, right, because he right. mentions doing that. And the, his use of the Hawaiian choir, holy shit. Like, this is sort of into the fourth and fifth episodes. Magnificent. Just yeah. everything about it. And, and, and you're right. The composer doesn't place the music, right? The director-editor would be slotting that in. He wrote it in three weeks and hadn't seen the finished product when this interview happened. But he had heard that the music was particularly loud, on purpose, and I noticed that that you actually have trouble hearing the dialogue sometimes because the music is overbearing. But that's there for a purpose, a reason. And God, the way he does suspense is well. There's a uh, I don't know I don't know oh so much so much. So there's there's uh, quite a bit of not quite a bit, but there's certain key parts of nudity mm. that are uh, over the top. And mm. I don't think they're gratuitous, actually, but it's way more than you would see on a typical show. I mean, ever, ever. Fairly early in, we have uh, one of the lead characters, the father of that family we talked about. Steve Zahn. Steve Zahn. Isn't he a great actor? Oh, God. I mean, I looked at his resume and I'm going, I don't know if I've seen him before, but I think I've seen him before. He just Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, we I think we open with him a uh, shot of his genitals. Yeah. I think that's the first shot of him. And he's holding his member there and his testicles are dangling below and he's kind of looking at them and he's kind of stretching it up so it looks like an erection, but it's I don't think it's actually an erection, but they want to kind of shock you at first. And his wife is, wife is peering at it. Yeah, she's looking. And he's going, I think I have cancer. You know, the first anxiety-inducing thing, right? Like, the, it, there's many of these things that happen. Yeah. My testicles are bigger, aren't they? They're bigger, aren't they? And, and she says, well, I, I, I don't really... I don't really know, or, or like I don't look, look here very often. <laughs> and so it's it's a realistic scene. I mean, this this is something that could happen to to real people, and the spouse would look right. And so it's just like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> and I this is also even this is a spoiler alert for spoiler alerts is that it was um, prosthetic and a body double. Okay, so both, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Although, does a body double suggest? No, no. It's he said prosthetic and a body double. 
It is like, cause there's privacy that way, right? Like whoever the body double is, no one will ever know it's them. And it's the same thing with, uh, women's butts and breasts are often body doubles because then the actor knows that nobody's seeing parts of me. I don't want. Exposed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, uh, probably hasten to tell their friends, by the way, that's not me, you know? So are we going to talk about the other, uh, nudity? Sure. Why not? I mean, it's hard, little, you know, it's funny. I usually, I look at something like that. I go, I don't want to see that. I just don't want to see it. But in this one, again, again, for whatever reason, I guess because it's just such an amazing, goodly good show, you just look at it and you go on, oh my God, that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Because fairly early in, we got Armand, you know, the show greeter, the guy that greets people, the guy that runs the whole place. Uh, and Steve Zahn, uh, the guy with the uh, possible cancer, he, he's kind of really worried about getting cancer. So he gets drunk, right? And then he tells Armand, I, I know you're gay, right? And then he goes to Armand, uh, what does it feel like? And you're just going, whoa. And Armand just looks at him. And looks at him and you're going, he's the host. He's got to keep everything. And Armand looks at him and he says, you want to find out? <laughs> <laughs> well, not really, but he's just way too drunk. Right? He, I think he does remember it the next day though, doesn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how we learn. Like, I guess I should have known right from the start that Armand was gay. And you know, once you're, once that's revealed then I go, oh yeah, of course, but I just didn't notice. But yeah, later, later in, uh, the, they come barging in on Armand and well, wait, before that, we, we find out that Armand is, uh, been sober for five years. Oh yes. And he's doing well. Yeah. And in the first episode, the, the his poor assistant standing beside him, it's her first day. She gives birth to a baby. Like you. Nobody knows that she's pregnant. She hasn't told anybody because she has to get the job. And she just figures that as soon as her shift is over, she can go after the baby. And, you know, anyway, she gives birth. She, her water spills in the lobby. <laughs> she gives birth in his office. That all happens. He goes out and he suggests to uh, one of his staff that he doesn't know if he can take it. He, this is really too much of a day. And she says, no, Armand, you've been doing so well. Five years you have the... Everything is good. Well, it doesn't take long. <laughs> he gets a whole... Well, the setup's great. Oh, the setup's great the, for that. The, the setup is incredible. The two withdrawn girls who hate everybody. And those girls are... Their characters are probably uh, 18 or 19 because they're at university, possibly the first year. Sophomores, they Sophomores. say. So second yeah. year. Uh, but they're just like negative about everyone and they... That's part of our introduction to everyone on the boat is the girls sit there making up stories about every single person on the boat. Oh, you can see that guy's taking Adderall every night or whatever. He doesn't care about his wife and she wants to please him and all this stuff. It's pretty fun. But those girls have a good supply of drugs. And that's quite comedic how that's introduced as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's that's part of the second episode and that's one of the big information things oh she says oh i got some pot and you think oh they they flew from la or wherever and she's got pot oh but i don't have any smoking in oh wait i've got a little bomb <laughs> <laughs> pulling out of her bag and the other girl says anyway they they start pulling out what they have for whatever so there's adderall and 
the sleep drugs, the AMDS or something, which I, she says, uh, I think ketamine, isn't it? Ketamine? Ketamine. That's a special K. Yeah. And anyway. Cocaine. They add some of that. They get super high and they forget her bag that contains all the drugs. That bag gets it turned into Armand. Turned into the office. Armand's having a bad day and it goes downhill from there. <laughs> Yeah, so he pops one, and yeah, it goes downhill from there. So by the, what episode is it? I think it's the fourth episode, maybe. <laughs> he's just... He he's seduces one of his young male staff, uh, like with drugs. Say, I've got this and this and this. Meanwhile, our, our honeymoon couple, the guy has a hate on because they didn't get the right room. He goes marching in. This is sort of later at night with... The staff who we've just mentioned said, "Oh, Armand, you can do it. Everything will be fine. You'll you'll make it. Don't don't have your first drink." They open the door. <laughs> the young, the 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 groom guy says, "I can hear. I can hear somebody's in there." She like she knocks on the door and she says, "Nobody's the groom. I can hear yeah, somebody cause, in cause there because he's really angry. He wants to see Armand, right?" Yeah. So she opens the door, and he is. Not just any homosexual act, but he is actually. <laughs> and it's the actor, Mr. right? Yeah, yeah. That's the actor because he pulls back and turns to the camera and says, oh. There's no body doubles in this one. Maybe the. Yeah, no, no, no. No, okay. I'm not thinking. <laughs> anyway, so the groomsman is um, extremely thrilled that he's seen this for blackmail. And then the final one, still Armand, right? <laughs> Go ahead, Richie. Oh, I don't know. What are you talking about? Like the final scene, you mean? No, the suitcase. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, I saw that coming. That that's what he was going to yeah, do? Yeah, he came in the apartment and I said, oh, you know what? He's going to... And, and I knew that as soon as he came in the apartment, because he had that drugged look on him, his face. Isn't that funny that you thought that? I thought, well, I, I didn't, that's not where I would have gone, but. Well, he, you know, this, this, this guy, the bro, there's the new, newlywed couple, the bro is just an awful guy. You can tell right from day one that this woman has married the wrong guy. Because you know what? They show up and on the first day and they get this amazing suite. It's beautiful. It has views of the ocean. It's fantastic. And the bro is upset because it's not the suite they booked. The honeymoon suite. They booked the honeymoon suite. He wants this be, to be perfect for his new bride. And of course, it's obvious right from the start that things are not going to be perfect for the new bride because of his behavior, not because of what suite they were in. So Armand uh, has gone down the dark alley there after getting caught with his sex act. Oh, of course. He's just partying constantly, taking all kinds of drugs, and he's crazed. And he's, he says to people, you watch what happens next. He's just unhinged is the right word, and the drums are going. <laughs> 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 he makes his way into that apartment, and it's not he's not there to be a nice guy. You know that. Anyway, so he goes over. She has packed her suitcase because she wants to get the hell out. 
they're already in the pineapple suite, the honeymoon suite. So she she decided at some point that I've made a mistake, and what she means is I made a mistake marrying you. So yeah, he in her suitcase, and it's very graphic. So skin, I'll uh, send that uh, picture to you. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. You get to watch them. Oh, don't send me that picture. You get to watch them. And and there's two. And when they show the picture in the suitcase, they're the correct sizes. Like, this is like attention to detail. Oh, man. What am I going to do with this? I ask you. <laughs> like, there's... Oh, my God. Okay. I was wondering how we were doing, Skin. You're sitting there so quietly watching. Well, I just got, I just got nothing. I, I haven't seen it at all. I, I'm just listening because... <laughs> So all in all, I'm taking away very strong recommendations. Is that fair? Is that? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Like, in fact, I don't think I've ever heard a more strongly ringing endorsement. It's amazing. Highly recommend it, yeah. Okay. I think even with the spoilers, it'd be a lot of fun to watch. It sounds like it probably would, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this. Like, am I a spoiler-sensitive guy? Generally speaking, I don't think I am. I mean, at the top of this segment, we talked about... I like the plot synopsis on the back of the old video box, right? Because it just tells me what kind of movie I'm in for. And this was way more than that. But I, I'd watch it anyways, just because it sounds like it's pretty fun. Yeah. I, you wonder where stuff like this comes from. Like, you wonder about the, the pitch, you know, the pitch meetings and the plot synopses and all the kind of stuff that must have gone on to get this thing off the ground. Who all had to share this vision to get what you guys saw out there. And how did they manage to arrive at that sharing? I just have no idea. Yeah, no kidding. Well, did he direct Pineapple Express? I saw that he had been involved in a couple of bigger things. Like, I don't know who this is, Mike White, right? Who's the writer-director. And I, But I think he wrote this and just went, he just plunked it down and said, this is what I want to do. Oh, that's Mike White? He's an actor as well, isn't he? Oh, I don't know. he's been on the Amazing Race. He was a good character on the Amazing and Survivor. That's funny. When was he involved in some big films? Uh, okay, filmography. That's funny because he's he's great on those shows. School of Rock. He was the writer. There you go. Because when he was on Survivor, yeah, he told people that he was the writer on School of Rock, which is a great show. Oh yeah. But he's also been an actor in the Stepford Wives. Oh, um, I was going to ask you about the, the theme, Richie. The theme music? No, the theme of the piece. Okay. And I think you, you might say colonialism. Oh my God, yes. But I not until you mentioned that, but is that ever a huge prevailing theme? Isn't it? So skinny, our uh, white family with the two kids and the girlfriend. The girlfriend is... She looks Hawaiian, actually, but I'm going to say she's probably half black, half white. She's uh, dark-skinned, and they they never tell us what her history is. Right. And she um, falls in love with one of the bellboys, a native Hawaiian, who also does the hula dancing at night for the crowds. And he says how... The drums are in his blood, that guy? He's not a caricature in any way, this guy. No, how uh, sort of awful it is. Uh, he's got this thing with his brothers. I can't, like, he's got a, he does this, even though his brothers are fighting the man, you're, you know, the colonialism and whatever. And she feels for him in all this, right? And she hates th that she's with this white family. 
and he wants her to stay in the end and she says no i gotta go back and then i mean this is one of the biggest things in the story she well hang on talks him into should i say this uh, yeah sure but just just a second so uh the colonialists came along and in like just like with the native indians they did the same thing. They would cut deals that were no deals at all and just basically take their land. So as you know, like all those sugar companies and whatever took almost all the land in Hawaii. And so they took the land that the White Lotus is built on and they built the hotel and the brothers are furious about that. Like it's a life life thing for them, the, the hatred of the, the colonial stuff. And yet here he is, here Kai is working for the man going out and doing those hula shows and he's an earnest guy he's a nice guy and everything but he needs money he needs to live right so that that's kind of like the setup for what she does and then she talks him into stealing some jewelry from the safe of the white family because she knows the code to the safe she knows the value of and he steals i think only three items one of which is hers that she's put in there and then he gets caught, and we don't see him after that, and he goes to jail or the police or whatever, and she literally abandons him. And that also is a big, um, it, it, it's just the whole colonialism thing that she is actually wrapped up in it in her privileged place where she comes from. That's right. On the mainland. Yeah. And even though she sympathizes with him about everything, but she just literally abandons him. Yeah, as soon as it got real, she was gone. Yeah, and do, and there's no explanation of it, and it's uh, Doesn't just freaking brilliant. It's pretty straightforward. Just brilliant. There's a lot of that in this show where you got the people that you get empathy with. You're like, I, I'm really pulling for the uh, wife in the honeymooning couple. Yes. Like, yes. come on, you got to dump this guy, right? And she does. She gives this beautiful, long, tear-filled monologue, just her face, and she's so gorgeous. And she says, I can't do this anymore. I, and, you know, he's not accepting it. And I'm thinking, so right after he, she gives this big, I can't be with you anymore, he says, fuck it, I'm going for a swim. And I think, I'm thinking, just get out of there. Start packing your bags and go find another room at least, right? And she doesn't. And then the next time we see them, they're still together and everything seems to be like she has done the same thing. She did not follow her dream. We realize that she's going to be way better off with rich guy, dork husband than if she tries to go it alone and she succumbs just like um, our, our girlfriend. She does. And but she does one final split. By the time he gets to the airport, she did get a different room. And then in the airport, this is the ult ultimate spoiler here, Skin, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting to see who's in the box. That's that's all I want to know at this point. In the airport, by then we know who's in the box, and it's not her. <laughs> but at the airport, he looks up. Remember, he's on his own in the airport, Moby. Yeah. He's on his own. He's sitting there. And then he looks up in the lineup for the plane now when they start boarding the rows. She's already in the lineup and he looks at her. She looks at him. Pause. And then they both head for each other and they give the big hug. 
So they actually did split up a couple times, or she did the speech. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. See, that's what I get for watching the first four two times, and <laughs> not the last one. Yeah, but anyway. Who's in the box, damn it? We don't know still? No, no, we know. We totally know, and it's Armand. Uh, Suitcase, and then, of course, our guy comes back. Yeah. Probably because of something that he's upset about again, no doubt. Yeah. And Armand hides in the kitchen, and you think, okay, wow, what's going to happen now? And the guy just comes walking up. The guy hears Armand, so he grabs the knife because he has a knife because people are stealing jewels, as you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the rumor has gone out. So he has the knife. He turns around the kitchen. There's Armand. Ooh, he stabs him before he even knows how to, what he's, he's just, it's just a gut yeah. reaction. And there's Armand yeah. falls on his back. It's great. I don't know what the music's doing at that point, but he falls on his back and he's just totally wired yeah. on all kinds of drugs. And he has this beatific smile on his face. <laughs> so you get to know that he died happy. <laughs> even yeah. it's just artificial, but he died happy. So. And is that the entire series then? Is that the wrap? Uh, second season. Second season, it will be in a brand new resort of the White Lotus chain. Oh. And they think maybe one person from the guests might coincidentally happen to be there, but otherwise it's going to be a whole new cast. Yeah, there's a couple excellent characters we didn't even mention throughout, and they're great characters. Oh, they're all The great. older woman who's had lots of plastic surgery. Oh, my God. Oh, and then she gets the guy that she's going to get married to, and oh the my. woman who gives her shiatsu-like massages. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Those are the whole long storylines that are just really well done and great actors and everything. So, so clever. All so clever. But like I say, you know, I say... Um, I said, oh, I got to think that The Crown was the best TV that's ever been made. But I think the acting in The Crown is at the same level. And I think I said it's the best because of the familiarity with the story in our lives that we know that story. But this is just as incredible and could be very well the best thing that's ever been on TV. Yeah, I hope it gets some awards. Because, yeah, that's right. When I compare it to the last one that changed my life was uh, the Queen's Gambit. And uh, yeah, I'd put the White Lotus right up there with the Queen's Gambit. Anyway, I hope everybody watches the White Lotus sometime out there. Worth the six hours. Definitely worth it. I think we've talked ourselves out. I think the end has finally arrived. All three of us can't think of another word to say about anything in our entire life experience. It's the end. <sighs> Yeah, I'm making this outro into this same kind of clickbaity thing that Scotty Kilmer does on his videos all the time. It's not the end. It's not over. It's just over for now. So we hope you've had fun. We hope you'll get in touch with us if you did or if you didn't or if you want to come on and have some fun. And most of all, we hope you'll just keep taking care of yourself. Keep your head screwed on straight. Don't worry about all the crazy that's going on out there. Just hang with us and everything will be fine. Until you talk to us again, thanks for listening, and bye. Bye, see ya. See ya.